If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me uh, to the book of Revelation. We'll begin reading in a moment in chapter 10. Of course, as I said a moment ago, we welcome everyone and both of our services and all those that are watching online and our broadcasts. And I want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. Uh, Mother's Day is not really a Christian celebration in the sense that it's not rooted in some uh, historic Christian event, biblical event like Easter or Christmas would be. Uh, But in some sense, it is, Mother's Day is a quintessential Christian celebration because it reminds us of so many biblical principles. And this is not in your outline, but if I can, I'd like to take a few minutes and just share two or three of those with you. Number one, the role of motherhood is valuable and highly esteemed. Uh, the Bible makes it clear that in no way is being a mother a secondary role. In fact, no person on the planet has a more important role than that of a mother. And so we celebrate that with Mother's Day, and that clearly reflect, reflects what we see in Scripture. Secondly, God has created us male and female. Now, it. Uh, It wouldn't have seemed just a few years ago that that's something that would need to be said, but today it is. Uh, There are differences in the sexes, and that is on purpose and to be celebrated. And it's interesting that our culture, though it has jettisoned so much of that, still holds on to Mother's Day, which declares that there is a difference between the sexes. One undeniable difference, without being more graphic than I should be, one undeniable difference is that women are given the biological apparatus to both birth and nurture babies, and that says something about God's creation. And to deny one's God-given gender is to really thumb one's nose at the Lord and his creation, both in a universal sense, but also in a personal sense. And then Mother's Day reminds us that life is sacred and valuable. Babies are not burdens, they are blessings. And from conception, babies are valuable and they deserve our love and protection. Uh, In fact, I have decided, or almost decided, just in light of some of the events that have happened this last week, Uh, to take a one-week break next Sunday from our study of the book of Revelation and just spend the hour talking about what the Bible says about the sanctity of life. Uh, Like we would have done that today, were it not Mother's Day, uh, but next week, I think we'll do that. Uh, It will not be a political message, uh, whether that's uh, good or bad in your mind, Uh, But even if you don't think you will agree with what I'm likely to say, I hope you will join us. What we're going to do is simply search scripture for truth, uninfluenced by contemporary categories or political philosophies. And what I want us to do is to seek to carve out a distinctively scriptural view of the value of life and see what the Bible says about how that should influence our ethics, our values, and our priorities. And uh, I hope we can do that together this next week. 
But if I can, I wanted to just, for us all, voice a prayer of thanksgiving for our moms. Let's do that now. Father in heaven, thank you for our moms, for the influence that they've had in our lives, for the sacrifices that they've made, for the love that they have shown. Father, we pray that your protection will be upon them, that they will know your peace and your love in a special way. Father, we pray for moms today that are hurting uh, because perhaps there's discord in their family or perhaps they have lost a child since last Mother's Day. We know that this can be a very difficult hour for many moms, and we pray that your solace will be with them. Father, we also pray for those who wish to be moms but are unable to for whatever reason, and we pray that you'll be especially close to them on what often is a very, very difficult day of the year. Father, be with us as we work through this scripture passage today. May you be honored by your word as it's taught and by how we respond in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, back to the book of Revelation, chapter 10, counting our prequel uh, that we began at the beginning of this series. Uh, we will have spent at the end of today five weeks studying through the book of Revelation. We have in these weeks seen some of what John, the disciple, the apostle saw as God gave him, Christ gave him this very special vision of what is to come. We have gone through uh, the scroll and the seals, seven seals, and with the opening of each seal, more of God's plan for end times was revealed and executed. And we've gone through six of the seven, seven trumpet blasts, and with each of those trumpet blasts, we have seen God's wrath poured out on the earth and poured out upon sinful man in a greater and greater way. Now we come to Revelation chapter 10. Now, chapter 10 and 11 of the book of Revelation, wow, what a couple of chapters. I was uh, reading books this week uh, written by Bible scholars, and almost every one of them said that these are the two most difficult chapters to interpret and to preach in the entire Bible. And I could find no examples in Christian history where some pastor was foolish enough to try to preach these two on Mother's Day. <laughs> so here we go. I thought about the prophet Daniel as he was given a word from the Lord about the end times, he wrote this, Daniel 10, eight and nine. He says, I was left alone looking at this great vision. No strength was left in me. My face grew deathly pale and I was powerless. I heard the words he said. And when I heard them, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. And I thought, amen, that's been my week. But here it goes. Revelation chapter 10, let's begin reading verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun. Uh, his legs were like pillars of fire. He held a little scroll opened in his hand. He put his right foot on the sea, his left on the land, and he called out with a loud voice like a roaring lion, when he cried out, the seven thunders raised their voices. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven 
saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. So here we're introduced to a great angel. Uh, Likely this was um, not to Jesus. Some have speculated that it might be, but just an angel, a great angel that God uses for his purposes here. Uh, We're introduced to a little scroll, uh, not the same scroll we were introduced to in Revelation chapter 5, but another scroll with a different purpose. But the important thing, I think, in these four verses, the very interesting thing, is that John sees something and hears something, and before he writes it down, what he wrote down is what we have here, the book of Revelation, but before he wrote that thing down, what the thunder had said, God stopped him and said, don't write that down. Now, isn't that interesting? Wouldn't you like to know what was the one thing God didn't want him to tell us about? Here's the important takeaway from that. There are many things about the end times that God has not revealed. And he has done that on purpose. And even with the symbolism and the sometimes hard to understand passages in the book of Revelation, there are many things that we don't understand. And that's okay. If God has presented it as a mystery, let us leave it as a mystery. And it's okay if we don't understand all of the details. Let's don't fight and argue and fuss and divide over the details of what God has clearly meant to be a mystery to us. But let's step back and see the forest despite the trees and understand the main message of the book of Revelation. What is the main message? The main message is that God reigns that God's in control, that God is sovereign, that nothing will frustrate God's purposes. The main message is that God will pour out his wrath upon sinful man. And the main message is that God will rescue his children, that Jesus is coming back and will reign in the new heaven and the new earth forever. And when we read the book of Revelation, let's not miss that for all of the details and even the things that God told John he just simply couldn't share. Now there's so much more to read in Revelation 10. I hope you're reading this at home and following with us as we work through this book. But I want to skip down now to chapter 11 because I want to cover both of these chapters today. I want to begin reading in verse 3 of 11. He says, I will grant my two witnesses authority to prophesy for 1,260 days dressed in sackcloth. Now here we see that there are these two witnesses that God sends forth. Uh, We don't know exactly who they are. Some people have suggested that it might be Moses and Elijah, and that could be true. Or maybe it's just two men that God has raised up for this purpose. But these two men stand and preach the truth of God's word. They preach the gospel. They preach against sin and they preach for the grace and mercy of God. Here's the important thing to learn here. God's message goes forth all the way to the end. Whether people will respond to it or not is another question. But God never stops preaching the truth of his word and never stops communicating about the grace and the mercy of God until the very end, the very end. Now, if we were to read beginning in verse four of chapter 11 and all the way down through verse 14, we would learn more about these two witnesses as they're preaching the beast uh, who we'll learn more about in subsequent sermons, uh, the Lord willing here in Revelation. 
the beast comes and executes these men. Uh, the beast tries to prevent the word of God from being proclaimed. And then these men, their bodies lay uh, out and the world really gloats over them, thinking that they had won a victory against God. But then God shows himself sovereign and powerful and fully in charge. And he resurrects these two men from the dead and he takes them up to heaven. God is absolutely in charge of what goes on. Now let's continue to read verse 15. The seventh angel blew his trumpet. So we've seen the seven seals and the seventh seal included seven trumpets. And we've seen the first six of the seven trumpets. Now we come to the final trumpet. The seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever. He will reign forever. Now that's the most important part of this entire section. In fact, if anything, it's the most important part of the entire book of Revelation. The Lord Jesus Christ will reign forever and ever and ever. And I want us today to fully understand, as much as possible, I want us to understand all that that means. Now look at verse 16. The 24 elders who were seated before God on their thrones fell face down and worshiped God saying, we will give you thanks, Lord God, the Almighty, who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. So there it is again, right at the end of verse 17, he has begun to reign. Now this doesn't mean that Christ did not reign before this point, but it means that he is going to reign now in a new way. We'll see more about that in a moment, but he is gonna reign in a way that is complete, that is full in every way, in every place, with every person, Christ is going to reign. Now, there's something really interesting in verse 17. And I didn't notice the first time I read it, but as I just continue to read this passage, and oftentimes that's the best way to really learn the book of Revelation is just to take a chapter and read it over and over and over, and you'll begin to see things that you didn't notice before. There's something really odd about verse 17. Did you notice it? Look at how he describes the Almighty. Right in the middle of the verse, it says the Almighty who is and who was, and that's all he says. Now, prior to this in the book of Revelation, on multiple occasions, the Almighty is described as the one who was, who is, and what? And who is to come? Who is to come? So why here does it not say, and he is to come? And in fact, it doesn't say that for the remainder of the book of Revelation. Why is that left out? Because now at this point, he has come, right? And so what we've got to understand is this is the end, or at least the beginning of the end. And, and at this point in the book of Revelation, at this point in history, Jesus Christ is reigning in a full sense. He has, he has come and he is reigning. He is reigning. So he was and he is. I think the, the thing that reminds us of here is that this is real. This is real. This is really going to happen. 
See, the Bible looks forward to this future day. He is to come. But one day, that will have taken place. And the world will no longer look forward to that. The world will experience that. I'm afraid that many Christians believe all of the Bible, but they, but they reject what the Bible says about the end. I think there are too many Christians who, who want to believe Luke chapter 2 when the Bible says today in the, in the city of David, a Savior was born who is the Messiah. We're all for that, right? The Christmas, we believe in that. We believe in John 3.16 that if we'll put our trust in the Lord that he will rescue us from our sins. We believe in John chapter 14 when Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions. But the same Bible that says those things also says that one day Jesus, his reign will be complete and the end will come. And we see this not just here in the book of Revelation, but this is a theme throughout the Bible. Let me read to you how the prophet Daniel said it, Daniel 2.44. He says, in the days of those kings, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And this kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all of the kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. Jesus Christ will reign forever and ever and ever. That's the message of the seventh trumpet. That's the message of Revelation 11. And that's the message of the book of Revelation. Jesus Christ will reign forever and ever. That's the most important truth in all of the world. And that's the most important truth in our lives today. So if that's important, how should that truth that Jesus will reign forever and ever How should that truth impact our lives today? Let me show you. Let me show you. There are four ways that I see. First, every godly investment will prosper. The eternal reign of Christ declares that every godly investment will prosper. If Christ reigns, then every investment in the kingdom is going to pay eternal dividends. Now, I'm not talking about some financial investment. I'm talking about every time you have invested or that you will invest in the things of God, in the things that God values, that investment of time, energy, and resources is an investment that will that will pay dividends for all eternity because Christ will reign forever and ever. Every time you serve the Lord through the church, that will pay eternal dividends. Every time you invest in your family, that'll pay eternal dividends. Every time you share the gospel, every time you bless someone by helping them behind the scenes, every time you read your Bible, every time you pray, all of those things, because Christ reigns forever and ever, all of those things will prosper. Every time you are faithful and consistent to worship the Lord on the Lord's day, being faithful in church, all of those sacrifices, all of those commitments, all of that, are investments that will pay a dividend because Jesus Christ reigns forever. Every time you have chosen to be obedient to the Lord when you were tempted to sin, every time, moms, that you sacrificed your time and invested your energy in your kids, wondering if they would ever notice what you were doing for them, all of that will pay a dividend 
because Christ reigns forever. Every time you persevered through hard times and remained faithful to the Lord, every time you took a step of faith and did something hard or risky because the Lord's work was more important than your own security, every time, because the Lord will reign forever and ever, all of those investments, all of those investments will shine like gold in the kingdom to come. When I was a child, I had some Confederate money. Do you know what that is? I don't know where I got it or who gave it to me. I'm not even sure it was real. I don't know whatever happened to it, but I had, I don't know, $100 in Confederate money. Do you know what that is? It's, uh, it's money that was uh, printed during the, uh, the Civil War, and it really was a promise that when the Confederacy won the Civil War that they would exchange those bills for gold and it was Confederate money. But here's what I knew even then, that money was worthless, right? Why was it worthless? Because the Confederacy lost the war. And on the day they surrendered, the money was worthless. Anytime we invest in the things of this world, we are buying Confederate money because this world will fail. But anytime we invest in the kingdom of God, those investments will succeed. Those investments will be pure gold through eternity because Jesus reigns forever and ever. When we invest time, energy, resources in serving others, in the church, in family, in the Bible, in sharing the gospel, in holy living, in loving others, those investments will always pay. Here's how Jesus said it. Matthew 6, 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. Those are not Confederate investments. Those are real investments in the winning side with the Lord who will reign forever. Every godly investment will prosper. Now, the next thing, every evil scheme will fail. Every evil scheme will fail. I'll let you fill in those blanks, and then I'm going to move to number three. Number three, every steadfast endurance will be celebrated. Now, the Bible tells us that suffering uh, will come in everyone's life. In, in fact, in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, the Bible says it so plainly. It says, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. He says, don't be surprised when there are hardships in life, when there's suffering in life. Don't think because you're a Christian, suffering will never come. It will. But the eternal reign of Christ means that each time you suffer, you have, you have experienced something that will have a lasting value in eternity. Let me read the next verse from 1 Peter 4, the first one, verse 12, saying that we shouldn't be surprised when we suffer. And then it says, verse 13, instead rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. He says there's a connection between the suffering that we experience here and the glory that we will experience later. 
You see, if Christ reigns forever and ever and ever, then our suffering today, if we're faithful, if we persevere, our suffering today will shine like gold in the days to come. In the days to come. Now, how can suffering have value? None of us want to suffer. Uh, in fact, one of the reasons why some people follow Christ is, is they follow Christ in hopes that they will never suffer, though the Bible never promises that. So how can there be value in suffering? Well, there's much value, but let me share with you two things that fit into this Revelation chapter 11 passage. First of all, when we suffer, we are, in a sense, walking in the shoes of Christ. And because of that, we gain a better understanding of who he is and, and what goes on in his heart. Let me explain. If... Um, if someone has been diagnosed with uh, late-stage cancer and they're going through radiation and chemotherapy and maybe the treatments are very difficult to endure and maybe that there's no guarantee that those treatments, as hard as they are, that they'll even be successful, what must it be like to get up in the morning and, and go to the hospital and receive a treatment that you know is going to make you sick but you don't know if it will ever make you healthy again. Now, I don't know what that's like. I can't imagine the emotions of getting up in the morning if you know that that is your day because I've never experienced that. But if you're going through that and someone else who has gone through that and has survived, they have persevered through it, if they come to you and put their arm around you and say, listen, I know what you're going through. There is instantly a connection between the two of you. Does that make sense? Now, what's the basis of that connection? Well, you have suffered in the same way. And when you suffer like someone else has suffered, then you know something about them. You know something of their spirit and their heart that nobody else could know. That's why oftentimes you see one widow commiserate with another widow and encourage her because they share the same suffering. Now, Christ has suffered for no reason of his own. When you suffer for no reason of your own, you will know something of the heart of the Lord that other people won't know. Do you see how our suffering, because he reigns forever and ever and ever, our suffering, when it's like his suffering, pays Dividends, here's how Paul said it, Philippians 3.10, my goal is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul wanted to know Christ like that. There's another way that suffering can be valuable. When we maintain our faith, our confidence in God, even when life is hard, even when we suffer, and we're strengthened by God's grace and mercy, even in the hard times, then our story becomes a trophy for the goodness and the mercy and the faithfulness of God. Does that make sense? If you can suffer and life can be hard and you can lean upon the Lord and find maybe even joy and peace in the middle of the suffering, not because life is easy, but because God is good, then your story of what the Lord has done for you becomes a signpost for just how wonderful God is. And that'll be a story that you will tell for eternity since Christ reigns. Uh, 
I'll tell you the testimonies I used to love to hear were testimonies of men or women who would stand and say, I was faithful to God and he gave me success and favor and influence and I was uh, top of the world and plenty of money and great health and they tell those stories. And, and I used to love to hear those stories. I still love to hear those stories. And God chooses to do that in many people's lives. But I'll tell, tell you the stories I like to hear today, the stories that, uh, at least in my heart, bring greater uh, glory to God, is when somebody stands up and they, and they say that life has been hard. Maybe they talk about uh, some medical issue Maybe they talk about risking great things for the Lord and things failed. There wasn't enough money or maybe they were rejected. Maybe they were mistreated. Maybe they went through a divorce or maybe a spouse died young. And they'll tell that story and then they'll say, but in the midst of it all, God showed me his kindness and his mercy and his goodness That's the stories I want to hear. That brings glory and honor to God. And when you suffer, but you're faithful to the Lord, that will become in eternity a trophy. Not a trophy that says how great you are, but a trophy that says how great God is. And you will carry that trophy through eternity. Listen, because Jesus Christ reigns, every steadfast endurance will be celebrated. Then number four, every accusation will be silenced. Uh, We know that we have an adversary, uh, and his name is Satan. The Bible says much about him. He is a liar, a tempter, a deceiver, but the worst thing about him is he is the accuser. We'll see that over in Revelation chapter 12 in the next week or two. But because Christ reigns forever and ever, Ultimately, every accusation of the evil one will be silenced. Because Christ reigns forever, everything that Satan has said to the Father about my sin and my shortcomings and my failures, all of that will be satisfied because Jesus has died for my sins and he reigns victorious over the accuser, every accusation will be silenced. Isn't that good news? Jesus reigns forever and ever. Uh, I want to share a story with you. I don't don't like to share the stories of others uh, when I preach, but uh, I want to share a story from a former preacher of the gospel uh, because this just fits so well and he says it better than I can. Uh, I have edited it a little bit, but it's his story, not mine. He said he was reading scripture and contemplating one day what Christ had done for him. And uh, he had a word picture. He had this picture in his mind. And I don't know if this was a dream or just his imagination. But here's what he pictured in his mind. He said, I found myself in a room and there were no distinguishing features really in this room except that one whole wall was covered by the, the little drawers like you would see at a library. Remember at libraries when they'd have those card catalogs and you could 
pull out one of those drawers and it'd have all those cards that represented the books. And he said one whole wall was covered with those. And he walked up to the wall and he, he noticed that the labels on the drawers were very unusual. The first one he saw said, all the places I've ever been. And so he opened it and he began to look at the cards. And sure enough, there was a card for every place he had ever been in his life. And he was amazed. Flipped through the cards. There were thousands of them. And he closed that drawer and he began to look around. And he knew exactly where he was when that happened. He somehow was in a room where there was this catalog, if you will, this database of everything he had ever done in his life. Uh, He had a sense of wonder and curiosity, just like you would or I would, but it was coupled with horror as he thought of what might be written on some of those cards. So he began to open the drawers and explore the cards. Some brought joy and sweet memories. Others, though, brought a sense of shame and regret. Uh, There was one drawer that said, friends. But on the drawer next to it, it said, friends I have betrayed. The titles on the drawers ranged from the mundane to the outright weird. There was one drawer that said, books I have read. Another one that said, lies I have told. Jokes I have laughed at. Websites I have visited, TikToks I have watched. He said some were almost hilarious in their exactness. One said, things I've yelled at my brother. He said others, though, I couldn't laugh at. It was a drawer called, things I have done in anger. Another one, things I have muttered under my breath at my parents or my wife. He says, I never cease to be surprised by the contents. Often there were many more cards in that drawer than I expected. Sometimes there were fewer than I hoped. He said, I was overwhelmed by the sheer volume of life that I had lived, but each card confirmed the truth. Each was written in my own handwriting, and each card was signed with my own signature. He said, when I pulled the file out that was labeled television programs I have watched, I realized that as you pulled out the drawer, it seemed to expand to include every necessary card. He said, after I pulled that drawer out six or eight feet, he said, I was uh, embarrassed and ashamed, uh, not so much about the programs that I had watched, but the sheer amount of time I had devoted to those programs. He said, then I saw a file marked lustful thoughts and I felt a chill run through my body. I pulled the drawer out only about an inch or two. I didn't want to test its length. I pulled a card out and read it and I shuddered at its content. I felt sick to think that such a moment had been recorded He said, an almost animal rage broke over me. No one must see these cards. No one must ever enter this room. I must destroy this. And so he began to pull cards out to rip them up, but he discovered that they were as strong as steel when he tried to rip them. 
There was no hope of destroying them. He said, defeated and utterly helpless, I leaned my forehead against the wall and I let out a long, self-pitying sigh. Then I saw another drawer had the label, people I have shared the gospel with. I pulled on its handle and just a very small box fell out. I could count the cards on just one hand. Tears came. I began to weep. I fell on my knees. I cried. I cried out of shame. From the overwhelming shame of it all, the rows of shells swirled and filled my tear-filled eyes. No one must ever know of this room. But then as I pushed away the tears, I saw him. No, please, not him. Anyone but Jesus. But I watched helplessly as Jesus began to open the files and read the cards. I couldn't bear to watch his response. In the moments I could bring myself to look at his face, I saw a sorrow deeper than my own. He seemed to intuitively go to the worst boxes. Why did he have to read every single card? Finally, he turned and looked at me from across the room. He looked at me with pity in his eyes. I dropped my head, covered my face with my hands. I began to cry even more. He walked over to me and put his arm around me. He could have said so many things, but he didn't say a word. He just cried with me. It seemed he was more broken over the sin than I was. Then he got up and he walked back to the big wall of files and he started at one end of the room and he pulled out a file one by one and he began to sign his name over my name on each card. No, I shouted, rushing to him. All I could say was no, no, as I tried to pull the card from him. His name shouldn't be on these cards. But there it was, written in red, Rich, dark, alive, the name of Jesus covered over my name with his name written in blood. He gently took the card back and he continued to sign the cards. Finally, I heard him close the last file and he walked back over to my side and he placed his hand on my shoulder and he said, it is finished. And I stood up and he led me out of the room I looked back and noticed that there was no lock on the door because I knew then that there were still more cards to be written and written over. But see, because Jesus Christ reigns forever and ever, every accusation will be silenced. Revelation eleven fifteen. let me read it again. The seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. Christ will reign forever. That should change church, not just our future, but it should change our here and now. It's time to stop playing with Confederate money and to live for eternity. Head bowed, eyes closed, let me pray. Father, there are people in the sound of my voice that have never put their faith and trust in you. Their sins have not been forgiven. Christ 
has not written over their names on those cards. I pray that those today will recognize your goodness, your love. They'll recognize, of course, your wrath and your judgment and that no sin will go unpunished. But they'll see that through Christ you've made a way for us to be forgiven if we'll trust what Christ has done. And we'll surrender our lives to his lordship. Let him lead us. I pray that that will be a reality in people's lives today. That they'll reach out either in this invitation or as soon as the service is over. And say, today I've trusted Christ. But Father, so many of us, so many of us, we're just living for confederate money. Remind us, Christ will reign forever and ever. Father, let that influence everything I think and do and say every day of my life. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In both services, let's stand.